What is very obvious to me is that uh, with all of the interactions we've been doing and teachings and books that we've been reading and discussions that we've been having, the Sangha and our friends in general are having difficulty understanding and living with the concept of impermanence. And I'm trying to grasp what's missing in our conversations that um, don't help you get closer to true reality. So what I thought about today was that I remind (laughs) everyone that we're always talking from the perspective of two points of view, conventional truth and ultimate truth. So it's not just truth. It's conventional truth and ultimate truth. So let's deal with conventional truth first, the everyday nitty-gritty humanoid world and all of its fractures and all of its imperfections. Um... There are these five concepts that we can meditate on that will help us to deal with the passing of reality as we know it in a conventional sense. Okay? So the first one is I am of the nature to age. And I'm not beyond that. I'm not above that. I'm not exempt from that. I am of the nature to age. This is conventional truth. But we see how many people or groups of people who have issue with that because of all of the money that's spent on cosmetics without anything else to talk about. Just cosmetics. Just rejuvenation creams and, you know. Bags under the eyes and wrinkles under the chin. and There's something that they have on most of the cable shows now that they have these paid programs to deal with. It's called crepe skin because the skin looks like crepe paper. And you know you're getting old when you have crepe skin. I remember looking at other people's arms and saying, oh, that's why I didn't call it crepe skin, because then they didn't call it crepe skin. They just call it old people's skin. But now when I look in the mirror and I'm shaving, I say, whose arm is that? So I am of the nature to age. I'm of the nature to get sick. This is just a part of life. I'm of the nature to get sick. We all do that. Or we all have been sick. I've been very blessed. Uh, I've 
I've had a couple of colds. I've never had any broken bones. Never had any major serious illnesses that required hospitalization. Until now. <laughs> Until now. And again, it helps to understand the aging process and what comes with that in order to understand and accept what it is that you're confronted with. I am of the nature to die. That's just a part of the quantum construct of conditioned reality. That whatever arises, whatever arises in, in conditioned reality also su- succeeds or disappears or goes away. That's just the law. That's the physical and physics dynamic of existence in samsara. I'm of the nature to lose everything I have in everybody I know. You can take that whichever way you want to go, whether everyone else dies off and you're still here by yourself, or whether you die off and everyone else is still here. But that's going to happen. And I know that there's, I've met couples who have had the blessing of longevity. You know, they've been together forever. And, and you know, I, I, I always envy the relationships that have that longevity. I think my marriage has lasted about four and a half years apiece. And I always envy the couple who could say that was my 25th anniversary and that was my 35th anniversary and my 45th anniversary. I thought about how marvelous it was to be with and trust somebody and have a relationship with someone who could stay, could bear with you that long. (laughs) Yeah, I was uh, commenting the last Dharma talk that a couple of my wives said I was high maintenance. I wore people out. <laughs> and they, they couldn't stay any longer because they were just tired. <laughs> of course, they weren't laughing. It was, it was serious. So And the last one, the fifth one, is all that I own and all that I have and all that belongs to me is my karma. Good or bad or indifferent, that's, that's it. That's what, I, that's what I have. That's conventional truth. Now, is there anyone who has questions about those five who can't? see the wisdom in those five, who don't understand how those five apply to our existence in conditioned reality. Anyone have any questions? Hi, Bobby. I have a little trouble with number five. I'd like to have you say more about that. Mm-hmm. And all that I have, all that I have is karma. 
Yeah. And what, what trouble do you have about that? Accepting that as a truth? as a result of a past life. Nope. All came as a result of what you've done in this life. Same thing. Uh, it seems like what we do produces karma, not what we have. But what we do creates the karma, or it is the karma, because that's what it is, is action, our actions our thoughts and our speech and our physical actions. But that's all that we own. There's nothing else that we own other than the karma. And that has to do with the segue and the understanding about ultimate truth. So, if we're all good with that, and we're going to meditate on those, by the way, before we uh, say goodbye to each other today. Not in an ultimate sense. In the Samyutta Nikaya, there is a sutta called not yours, not yours, okay? Now understand that we have set aside for a moment conventional truth, and now we're talking about ultimate truth, okay? And the Buddha said to the disciples that were surrounding him at that time, he said, Disciples, whatever is not yours, abandon it. Just drop it. Just leave it alone. Just forget about it. When you have abandoned it, that will lead to your that that will lead to your welfare and happiness. And what is it? that is not yours, the I, E-I-E, E-Y-E, is not yours, abandon it. When you have abandoned it, it will lead to your welfare and happiness. Form is not yours, abandon it. I consciousness is not yours, abandon it. Eye contact is not yours. Abandon it. Whatever feeling arises with eye contact as condition, whether pleasant or painful, or neither pleasant nor painful, that too is not yours. Abandon it. When you have abandoned it, you will lead, it will lead to your welfare and happiness. Now the same thing with the other sense gates, the other bases. So in other words, none of this materiality should be considered and identified with as yours or mine or I or me. Now you notice that in this short sutta, he expresses the fact that when you abandon it, he doesn't say, then you'll be no more or you'll be in heaven 
He says, it will lead to your welfare and happiness. Now, what that tells me is that then with me abandoning everything that I think I am conventionally, form, feeling, perception, consciousness, and thought, with me leaving all of that behind because I'm so anxious about all of that. Remember, we talked about impermanence. We talked about giving up, losing, aging, getting sick, dying, losing everything you have materially, all of your friendships, the things that we identify with in this conventional, conditional reality, the things that we hold on to so tightly in this reality. It says, abandon. Now, obviously, even if we were Buddhas, we couldn't leave our skin. You know, we couldn't just go to a rapture. What, what is that when they rapture? Yeah, when you just leave your car and leave your I guess you leave your body and leave your skin. I'm not sure. But you can't just be delivered in rapture. It's about abandoning it. So what are they talking about? They're talking about letting go of the tight hold, the tight grip we have on the concept of our identity and what it is we think we are and what it is we think everyone else is. And when we abandon that grip, when we let go of that idea that I am this form, these eyes of mine. And of course, there are other suttas that break it down even further. But this is a very simple sutta. But I think it has a very clear message to it. Because it lets us know that when we abandon everything we think we are, there is still something there that we truly are. That's the, the great message in this sutta that I, I, I grab onto, I, I collect, that I embrace, that I don't disappear. There's, it's not that there is annihilation there is nothing there when I abandon these things. Now, it doesn't say what it is, but I think he gives you the hope that everyone needs who is afraid of losing oneself. Because this is where the fear, this is why we hold on so tightly to self-identity and identity of others. We hold on so tightly because if I don't have this, then what will I be? Will, I, will there be nothing? Will there be emptiness? Will there be darkness? We're frightened of that. And it says here, That when you abandon what is not yours, 
that will lead to your welfare and happiness. No more suffering, no more pain. Your welfare and happiness. It says, suppose people were to carry off the grass and sticks and branches and foliage of this grove, or to burn them, or to do with them what as they wish. Would you think people are carrying us off, burning us, or doing what doing with us what they wish? And the answer to that from the disciples was no. He says, for what reason is this answer no? Because, venerable sir, that is neither ourself nor what belongs to ourself. None of those things. And he's talking to disciples who have a high degree of accomplishment. And so the more we meditate, the more we examine consciousness, the more deeper we go in our conscious, conscious awareness, the more we understand who we truly are and what we truly are. And all of the expressions try to help us understand that we are not this body in this form that we think we are. doesn't say we're nothing. It just says we're not that. This is a vehicle. It's just like when we go out and get into our Subaru or our Chevrolet or our whatever kind of car you have. When it breaks down, you buy another one. You don't look mad and cry. Well, maybe some people do. But you do what you need to do. You call and have it worked on, have it fixed. And so... I'm saying to you, if you want to have peace, if you want to have welfare and happiness, you have to let go of the conventional idea that this body and all of its other forms of identity are you. Now, again, the mind will argue, well, what, if, what am I then if I'm not that? I'm saying, don't argue. Just, just do what you can do. Just let go of what you can let go of. Let go of your imposition upon that idea as being you. Let go of it. And find out. See, because as long as you don't know, do Self-realization. I can't tell you because you're still, you still. If you've never been to New York or if you've never eaten spaghetti, you can ask me what spaghetti tastes like or how. What is New York City? What is it all about? And I can tell you, but you still won't know. You understand? You still won't know. So the idea then is to not grasp at things you don't know, but to do your work, do your practice. 
It says welfare and happiness means there's nothing to be afraid of by abandoning it, this idea and letting it go. There's nothing to be fearful of for your welfare and your happiness. Now I can say that is true, but still you don't know whether it's true or not until you do it yourself. Any questions? Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yes. Not so much a question, but more of an insight. Um, okay. That it sounds like the Buddha is like a spiritual sculptor. And I've heard sculptors say that the piece of art is already within it. And mm-hmm. you carve away everything that isn't that sculpture. And it sounds like that's what we're doing with our practice. The Buddha tells us what it's not. Mm-hmm. And then what's left is the art. Insightful. Very well. Very well. Yes, John. When you started studying with a, a, a teacher who was construed as being a higher attainment, did you find it helpful when you were named that they they saw or they sensed something that was kind of in, specific? And what naming are you speaking of? Are you speaking of my Catholic naming? Or I mean, your uh, Buddhist uh, naming? Pani. Panya Deepa. Yeah. No, because that wasn't named after the Buddha. You know, so I didn't see myself being elevated into anything. I saw myself being given a piece of the lineage of my teacher and his teacher and his teacher. Ultimately, I I didn't even think about whether that ultimately connected with the Buddha. But as I as I studied and read, I realized that there was a connection, there was a lineage that mm-hmm. that as a as the teacher I had a connection to that. And that there was a promise that if I practiced what was being taught, I would eventually have realizations that I had never had before. I would have welfare and happiness. I would have peace and joy that I never experienced before. I would stop being a victim in the world and being a part of the refuge, the helpers who provided safety and well-being for the world. And I didn't have to be the Buddha or a Buddha to do those things. I just had to have realization of those things being possibilities. Would you like to say anything, Panyawani? No? Okay. All right. Then, let's go back to conventional truth, the, the five meditations on impermanence. And just like the Brahmaviharas or other conscious exercises, pick the one that gives you the most trouble. 
So, for instance, when people are talking about impermanence or death and dying, what about that that troubles you the most, that takes you off of your seat of peace and causes you to have fear and causes you to hold on to what you think is appropriate and work that particular observation in your consciousness. I, and it's, what it is is that you're acknowledging truth. You're saying, I acknowledge these truths. It doesn't matter how much I worry about it. It doesn't matter how much I meditate on it. It doesn't matter how much I pray on it. These things are going to happen to my conventional self. That's a given. And life tells me that's a truth. So when life is telling me or has told me it's a truth because of the experiences that I've had in life, why am I still arguing with or making deals with this truth? The hope that it doesn't happen to me. Happen to everybody else, but I don't want it to happen to me. Why am I still making that deal? The reason that there's a sutta that's called the Divine Messengers, and this is what the Buddha was speaking on when he said, these incidences are all divine messengers that come from divine messengers that are telling us the reality and the experiences of life and living that they're reminding you about the impermanence of this existence as we are living it and what we think we're all about as we are living it. But that the truth is none of those things, the aggregates of being, are yours. Let them go. So this is the transition. It's about letting them go. And the only way you can let them go is to review them and examine them with a wisdom eye. It says, why am I afraid of having something happen that happens to everybody everywhere? Why am I so fearful of this? Everybody goes through it, rich and poor, American and non-American. Everybody goes through this. Okay. Does anyone need to review the five again? Okay. I am subject to aging. Agree with that? I am subject to sickness. I am subject to death. I am subject to losing everything I know and everything I own and everything I hold dear. Yeah, all my possessions, all my relationships. I'm going to lose them one day. They're going to go away. 
And the last says, the only thing I own is my karma. Okay? Right is good? All right, so pick the one that you have difficulty with and work with that one first. The thing that freezes you, the thing that makes you stay up at night, the thing that causes you to lose sleep. Work with that one first.
Did you find that exercise helpful, or was that just something else that got in your way? I need, I need your help because I'm trying to design things that will benefit you. I found it helpful. Okay. Keep, keep working with it until all of the things that you fear, you can smile at. Because ultimately, this truth is that there is nothing to fear. That's what we're talking about. Eroding from consciousness, the fears that we have. Yes? Do you remember, uh, I believe it was during, during the Second World War when they said, from my parents they told me about, there is nothing to fear but fear itself. Okay, yeah, I remember that quote. Because I thought they were crazy. What's that? I thought they were crazy. I didn't, I didn't understand it at the time. You know, there were, there were really so lots of things that we feel. It does make more sense now. Yeah. Did, did you have a practice to go from aloneness to loneliness, to, to smile at... Yeah, my, my practice was the experience that I had in being unhappy and fearful, and the fact that I just didn't want that, and I, I wanted to examine the paths that were available that, that gave as a realization or a reward for practicing that the freedom from the restrictions. So I like, I like to um, say that the, the last part, the tag on that um, verse is what gives us great hope, you know, since our actions are our only true home. Now if we're not doing anything, then we're like homeless people. There is no rest resting place. Mm -hmm. There's no place to rest. And so we like roll around in the machinations of our of our mind because we have no resting place. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that if you are acting, you know, if you are active in your profession of or you're walking out of the perfections active in your patience, active in your service, active in your, you know, there is a, a landing spot for you where you don't have time um, or even the frame of mind to get caught up in the stories about what's best for me at this moment, what's making me unhappy at this moment, what's making me happy at this moment, you know, it's because we are so idle that all we do is have time to think about ourselves in relationship to everything around. But if action became um, our practice, mm -hmm. then the I would just fade away. Mm -hmm. 
So think about that last night. My actions are my only true home and what that means. Thank you. All right. That was a good note to end it on. Yes. I have a fear of death that um, that I will simply become no more, and that that's frightening. Well, I can only say as a star to maybe view the fear of death as a perversion or a a waste of energy. What I mean by that is it's going to happen whether I fear it or not. So why spend the time and the inclination on fearing it if it's not going to stop it? Stop if if I'm not going to be relieved from the fear that I have about it. Uh, Shanti Deva said, "If you have a problem and you have a solution, why worry? If you have a problem and you don't have a solution, why worry?" Okay, so I'm just saying, you know, keep considering, keep keep turning it over and asking yourself, what is there anything positive coming out of this experience that I am engaging in? Because you are definitely engaging in an experience of fear. Now you can work with it. You can you can. There's lots of solutions or remedies to what we're talking about. Um, That's one of them, to say, well, why worry about something I can't stop anyway? You know, um, maybe you can investigate by observing the thoughts you're having what is it about this experience that I and everyone else has to deal with? What is it that that is creating so much turmoil in my consciousness? Um, again, the truth is that everybody's got to got to pass through that door. So I can't stop it. I've got to do it. Um, so what is it? So lots of people might say, well, because it'll be painful, you know, and I don't want pain. I don't know what's on the other side of the door. <laughs> okay. And the fear of the unknown. Yeah, so at first you said you were afraid of death because you were afraid you'd be no more. So that one we can use reasoning with. If you are no more, who is there to know that they've died? So that one we can know is an irrational thought. And that one's looking to go out. So that only leaves, I don't know what's going to happen. You know. Um, so the best thing that we can do if we look at nature and get some indication of what happens naturally, if there should be something else, 
which is what most people's fear there is. I just don't know what. If there should be something else. Nature teaches us that everything produces after its own kind. So, if I want something, like if I want apples, I plant apple seeds. So if we spend our life doing good, the Buddha said, should there be something afterwards, it will be good. If we spend our life doing bad, should there be something afterwards, we planted the seeds of that. So he takes us back again to our action, our only true home. When I know for myself that I am doing what is useful, what is beneficial, what is kind, what is loving. You know, when I am exercising patience, doesn't mean I do it all the time, but I recognize when I do. I know when I've been naughty and know when I've been nice, you know? And we keep uh, aspiring towards what is good, then that can be our confidence. It's mm -hmm. just the way, it's the natural order of things. That can be our confidence. So some of us know we haven't been that good, you know? And so the only thing we can do, like if, if not good was like dark chocolate, is pour milk in it, like doing good. And it makes the chocolate not so dark. You pour enough in there, you could almost bring it up so it's, it's, it's a lightest shade. That's a natural thing. We can just look out here in nature and see things. And so sometimes we have fears, but he said, if you look at nature, nature will give you your answers and just follow the natural thing. This thinking thing we have, proliferating, making up stuff, is what is unnatural. But if we just observe nature, um, the movement of seasons, the just the natural order of things, we will have a lot more confidence in how we live and how we let go of life when it starts to ebb away. You know, we have done well. Even if I didn't earlier, I'm doing well now. And the Buddha said, we don't know, but he said that, you know, your last thoughts, that last bit of consciousness, Rising and falling here, should there be anything else, it piggybacks on that last thought. That's why it's important when your loved ones are passing, you know, to just remind them of the good that they've done. And that's uh, the first comic seeds that arise. And reflecting on the good that's been done. That gives you at least some time, whatever comes after that, to work on anything else that you drug over that you have to work on, right? <laughs> but you can start from a good place. And just begin to console yourself um, with this truth, whatever I plan, that's what grow. Can't probably spill it, you You just wipe it up and you keep going. I see a couple of hands in the back. Yes. Uh, we have a had a friend that 
post some years ago uh, was dying of cancer. <clears throat> and uh, I was told by someone else that was there that her last words were, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> and that really turned a switch in me about mm. how I thought of death. And um, I did not believe at the time, I did not believe in any, any kind of particular afterlife. And to me, it didn't matter if there was one or not. Mm. That uh, it was going to be a great adventure, mm. one way or the other. And that there was no worry about anything that might happen after. A little worry about pain. But uh, pain can still be a good death. Uh, in hospice, they say that uh, there are good deaths where people are letting go peacefully, and there are bad deaths that are very difficult to watch, where people are very agitated and really fighting it. Mm -hmm. um, but whatever it is, it's, it's going to be good. <laughs> Thank you. Well, on that happy note, thank you for that. Let's be safe and smile at a stranger. Work with impermanence. Work with meditating on impermanence. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.